0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to New Books in Economics, a podcast channel from the New Books Network. I'm Peter Lawrenson, an associate professor of economics at the University of San Francisco. So when we think about China's future prospects for economic growth, we often focus a lot on hot areas and in industries like the low end export oriented manufacturing center that drove growth for most of the past few decades or the AI fueled tech boom of recent years. Um, but for any country, one of the most important determinants of the long-run economic growth is human capital, the education and health of its workers. Our guest today, Yan Huang, has written an important book on China's environmental health crisis, examining not only its uh, its effects on people, but also the political and institutional barriers that have made it a hard problem to solve. The book also provides a great window into the way the Chinese system works in general, as the problems it outlines are recur across a variety of economic and other policy areas. Yan Zhong is a professor at Seton Hall University and director of its Center for Global Health Studies and a senior fellow for Global Health at the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, among his many other accomplishments and credentials, he received his PhD in political science from the University of Chicago and is a member of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Public Intellectuals Program. And his book is called Toxic Politics, China's Environmental Health Crisis and its Challenge to the Chinese State. So, Yen Zhang, thanks so much for joining us. Um, now, when people think about political science, public health is usually not one of the first topics that springs to mind. So so how did you get interested in this uh, broad area? I know you've been working on it for many years, even before this book.
1: Interesting question. Actually, this morning when I was... Uh... Giving a presentation at the Johns Hopkins University Science Event, you know, I was talking about you know the, um, the impact of the COVID, you know, on U.S.-China relations, you know, and it, had, it was also time to celebrate the release of that book, you know, mm-hmm. right, engaging China. This the 40 or 50 years of history, you know, to you know, recognizing the uh, achievement of Professor Mike Lambton a long time you know faculty member of the Johns Hopkins university in fact that was found it is interesting because Mike's research uh the, his dissertation was you know about the politics of medicine in china in the mao era you know so what i did when i was a phd student at chicago i was you know cons- you know the entertaining all these ideas and what I should write on, you know, uh, uh, for my dissertation. And then my, my mentor, Daddy Young, just told me, why don't you write something on health? I thought uh, initially it was sort of a crazy idea, <laughs> to be honest, because who would expect a political scientist to write on public health? But, you know, after I read, you know, Mike's book, I realized, you know, there's a lot a political scientist could actually write on in terms of, you know, the the health politics in the post-mall year. So uh, my work was basically built upon, you know, Mike's work, you know, uh, even though the focus is on the post-mall health politics. So that's sort of like... Noted my interest in the study, you know, health issues from a governance, foreign policy and national security perspective. You know, so, you know, now I have this bifurcated interest. Right On the one hand, I'm interested in global health issues, you know, but uh, in the meantime, also have a regional interest in China.
0: Well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, certainly, obviously these, these days, uh, I think uh, politics and uh, public health have been, much more intertwined in a lot of people's uh, minds since the pandemic, but um, it's great that you were able to to, uh, connect to this area early. Um, And of course, as as we all do as academics or in any other kind of intellectual endeavor, you're always uh, standing on the shoulders of giants and trying to make your own uh, individual incremental contribution to bring things up to date and and keep track of how things are developing. Um, So, uh, all right, so your book is about um, the environment uh, and public health, and <clears throat> so in the U.S., when we think about China and the environment, we usually think about climate change, since that affects us directly. Um, you know, it's in the news here all the time. Um, why don't you first uh, tell us more about what are what are China's uh, other environmental problems that you focus on in the book, and how are how are they affecting the Chinese people?
1: Well, you know, actually, you know, speaking of climate change, right? Certainly, what sometimes we confuse is too, right? That this. Uh, the contributor right, to the greenhouse gases, you know, most of them, you know, actually not considered right the the, um, uh, the pollutants, you know, uh, the uh, <laughs> that causes air pollution, right? The issues like PM 2.5, you know, the, uh, uh, the 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 ozone, you know, this is actually not a major contributors, you know, to uh, greenhouse gas. Uh, effects, right? Uh, So, you know, here, the book is, you know, focuses more on the um, pollution, right? Air pollution, water pollution, and soil pollution in China, even though it also tries to shed light, you know, uh, this policy process in terms of China, how to deal with this climate change, you know, because, you know, these two, even though there are differences, you know, they're still, uh, interrelated in terms of you know, that uh, you know if you consider the, the 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 corporate of the air pollution right the like this fossil combustion right they themselves also an important contributor to uh uh the uh, climate change uh, yeah. so you know the the I want to focus on the uh, the three major links you know air pollution, water pollution, and soil pollution. And uh, uh, and I found, you know, indeed, where right, this this pollution, where right, this has been a major um, uh, environmental health hazard in China. If you look at, you know, the outdoor air pollution, right, that is the uh, it is considered the, the largest single environmental health risk because it's linked to 1.24 million. A premature death in China, you know, that accounts for nearly 40% of the global total. Right? And of all the risk factors for pollution associated, you know, mortality, you know, this ambient, you know, PM 2.5 is actually uh, the number one killer, right? It is responsible for more than 1.1 million deaths, you know, that is one quarter of the total global attributable death and uh, 21 0.8 you know, uh, percent of the attributable global disease burden. Right, this is the in China. Uh, so you know this the uh, pollution has indeed been uh, a, a major a uh, challenge to China's environmental health. You know there's other challenges you know that associated with like food safety, right? Because pollution right now is increasing also a food safety issue, right? Uh, uh, China has a saying, you know, that for the emperor, the people are everything, right? For the people, food is everything. But uh, if you look at right how, you know, that uh, the, um, the the food safety, right, the issue in the country, there was a study in 2002, you know, uh, they, they found that in one of the few nationwide food safety tests. Uh, the Ministry of Agriculture I found that 20, nearly 28 or 29 percent of the rice samples, you know, were laced with levels of lead you know, that exceeded national safety standards and 10 percent of them had excess you know, cadmium. You know, so all this, you know, that, that has also important uh, 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 profound implications for uh, China's future.
0: Yeah. So the the food safety issue. So it's not just, uh, you know, I think I've thought more commonly of food safety as being about, um, you know, introduction of pathogens or um, obviously the prominent uh, case where there were uh, um, plastics introduced into milk, um, which were were harmful to children into, into, um, I think, powdered milk. Um, But you're saying there's also, you know, even if, even if everyone is kind of perfectly honest along the way, once you grow the plant or something, but if the if the soil or water in, in which the plant is grown or in which the animal feeds is uh, is, is polluted, then then you're still uh, you know it's, it's tainted from the start. huh?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Well, so this is how you know that when we talk about the food safety, it's not just about adulterated food, you know, the the uh, you know, melamines, you know, the chemicals, you know, being... Like mixed in the, uh, the, the the food, but also the pollution, right? The, uh the contamination, contaminated soil and water itself, is, is contribute uh, to the problem?
0: Right, and once it enters the food network, that's also you know, I was thinking, you know, one of the reasons why I think air pollution became a particular big issue is because it's just it's just so hard to avoid, right? You, you know, rich or poor, you're you're you have to deal with polluted air. You know, dirty water. Then the rich people can filter it. You know, buy bottled water or whatever. Um, and you know, food. You know, you can you can cook it and stuff. But uh, but yeah, if there's if there's poison in just everything around you all the time, there's there's no way to avoid it, uh, and, and it's hard to feel safe uh, no matter how no matter how privileged you are uh, in other respects.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Um, so uh, okay, so so there's huge health impacts from this. Um, other than you know straightforward public health impacts, are there other effects from uh, this um, this pollution problem on uh, on China or its relations with other countries?
1: Well, I think you know. Then we just talk about the health implications, right, of the uh, those environmental challenges. But uh, you know, in the book, I also addressed the economic, right social, political, and foreign policy implications, you know, China's environmental health issues. You, know. uh, you are the economist, right? The, the, uh, uh, you know better than I. <laughs> is the uh, economic cost of pollution, right? The, if you uh, use the, uh, I think Tom Schelling <laughs> developed this, uh, it's a good value of a statistical life or VSL to measure, right, how much people are willing to pay to reduce the mortality risk. Uh, if we use that to measure the China's economic cost of pollution, right? The annual, you know, uh, you know the, the growth of total welfare losses, you know, due to premature mortality caused by this exposure to air pollution, you know, during 1990 and 2013 was estimated to be 11%. And you know, the World Bank estimated that China lost 10% of the GDP to air pollution alone in 2013, you know, but if we include the cost of the non-federal units, you know, the total cost could be up to, according to my calculation, you know, 80, 18% of the China's GDP, right, and it would be even higher if we consider the losses associated with water and soil pollution, right, you know, that uh, Beijing, you know, that uh, the, uh, the U.S. Amcham, you know, they are, uh, conducted this annual study you know on the uh, executives you know uh, uh, us ex, you know the uh, executives right the, the, of companies you know uh, in Beijing you know they're you know asking them you know they what is the top challenge you know for them you know trying to recruit and retain talents to work in China you know they actually for consecutive three years right that they name it the air pollution as the top challenge uh, they are also, right, the social, um, political consequences. It is that uh, even the Chinese government you know, also admitted, right, that that is you know, not just a, a complicated scientific problem. It is a sensitive social problem. Uh, you know, it matters to societal harmony and stability. You know, uh, the government, uh, you know, the... Uh, uh, legitimacy you know even national survival or or, or, or prosperity you know so that's uh, you know there's the if you look at the number of these environmental related petition letters and complaints right between 1995 and 2015 right it increased significantly from you know basically right the less than uh like uh, uh 100,000 uh, in 1995, you know, to close to 1.8 million, right, in the country, right. Uh, so, and in the meantime, you know, this environmental health crisis has an international dimension. It's not just because it has an international origin, right, but also because you know China's right. The, this environmental health problem, you know, can can have spill over effects. You know, there was, you know, this. Studying 2014 by using the 2006 data, you know, uh, for air pollution in China, you know, they found that when strong winds blew across the Pacific Ocean, you know, uh, those pollutants, you know, produced by China's export sector, accounted for at least, you know, at worst, uh, four percent to six percent of the carbon. Monoxide, you know, recorded in the Western United States, assume that's California, that's where you uh, stay now, you know, up to 11% of the black carbon pollution and 12% to 24% of the sulfate concentrations, you know, so, you know, this is the impact also on international relations and global governance. You know, and, uh, you know, interestingly, the Chinese efforts to uh, like close factories in you know, the mines, you know, to reduce the pollution actually only drove up the prices of coal, steel and alumni uh, in 2017, you know, that uh, in the international market. And so that is a very complicated global governance challenge.
0: Well, actually, let me let me back up just a sec. Um, so you mentioned petitions and and uh, since this is the economics channel, so not everyone here is going to know about this very unique sort of Chinese um, system. So so what is the, what is the petition system and why is why is that significant? Like, you know, in China, there's, you know, a billion plus people. So a million sounds like a lot. But I mean, it's a million, a million what? And, and what, what is this system? How does it work?
1: Well, you know, the, you know, this is the, the these the, those petition letters and complaints officially recorded, right? In the uh, uh, the China's, you know, this the uh, the system reporting, right? The the, uh, the the Ministry of Environment, you know, the uh, uh, you know until uh, like 2015, you know, they had this system, you know, basically, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, conducted the, uh, the, the, the specific tally, you know, on those, the, uh, the number of people who wrote petition letters and complaints, you know, to the government. Because, you know, in China, certainly, right, we know, right, that when the people were responding to the issue of pollution right, environment, and other environmental issues, you know, many people, or more, I would say most people were choose, you know, just to, you know, like uh, complain, you know, uh informally right the, the uh you know this is sort of like what uh, albert hushman called the you know this the um, loyal, right? They would, uh, you know, not uh, you know, uh, officially, right, the, the uh, complain to the government. You know, so that itself, you know, takes, you know, the courage to do so. Uh, and it should be uh, seen as indication of how strongly they feel about the the, uh, the pollution, uh, the challenge of the uh, environmental challenge in China.
0: Right. So this might be a letter written by someone who says, hey, there's a you know, the, the river next to my house is black and mucky and smells like petroleum or something like that. Or or they might get a group petition together and have 20 or 50 or 100 people sign it and say, you know, we're all really worried about this new factory that's going in, things like that.
1: That's right, that's right. So, you know, there could be like, you know, it's the initial, but until like 2010, you know, most of that there's uh, like, it, it, there's complaints in the form of petition letters, Right, uh, but then after 2011, with the, the you know the spread of the internet, like we have seen more of those complaints take the form of those, uh, uh, like uh, uh, the uh, electronic, right, uh, the uh, uh like online complaints or just a, you know cell phone calls. Okay. Well, so
0: all right, so the people are upset. The health impacts are severe. Uh, The Chinese government is worried about the long run um, economic impacts of this as well. Um, But, you know, when we hear about China, we usually hear about it being a dictatorship and about the government forcing people to do what it wants, even in violation of, uh, you know, Western ideas of human rights. They can impose a one child policy. They can shoot protesters in the street, put minorities in camps and prison Nobel Prize winners or, you know, smack down their most high profile Internet entrepreneur when he's disrespected them. Um, or to put a more positive spin on it, you know, they were able to impose a lockdown and bring the coronavirus under control much more rapidly and effectively than in the US. So it seems like they have the power to do whatever they want to. So so why are they having trouble uh, stopping pollution? Well, you
1: know, well, that, that I think you're right, you know, that, uh, you know, there's, we often talk about, you know, we're, this top-down approach, right, the, the uh, you know, Chinese government and the Chinese people are very proud, you know, that the, one of the advantages of the system is this ability to concentrate forces, right, uh, to do so-called big things, you know, but, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, for a long time, you know, this issue of pollution other the environmental challenges, right, uh, they have, you know, been there, but it has not been really, right, elevated, you know, as a gender item until after the end of 1990s, right? And China has not really launched an all-out war on pollution, right, until after 2013. You know, so first of all, right, you have this four decades of rapid industrialization, modernization, you know, that uh, uh, you know, basically, uh, uh, um. Contribute, you know, to all those, you know, these, these problems, right? You know, this. You look at the scale and scope, right, of this uh, pollution in China, right? During 2011-2013, by China consumed more cement than the United States did in the entire 20th century, right? It consumes 21% of the energy. Uh, in the world, right? So, you know, to tackling to tackle the problem pollution in China, we have to keep in mind, you know, this uh, this huge, tremendous challenge, right? That the government has to deal with, right? Uh, not to mention there, but there's institutional reasons, you know, that uh, were very resistant, right, <laughs> in terms of these uh, efforts, you know, to clean by right, the environment. Because we know, right, that, you know, after 1989 in particular, right, that the, the, the CCP, right, that needs to continuously justify its rule, you know, by not just a sustaining rapid growth, but also consistently accomplishing concrete policy goals, you know. So that reliance on the performance-based political legitimacy encouraged this single-minded pursuit of economic growth to the detriment of the environment you know, and the health of the people, right? So at the local level, you know, this ability to generate economic growth or fiscal revenues was the most important determining factor, right, in local officials' upward career mobility, right? Uh, so, you know, you have, you know, on the one hand, uh, the tremendous challenges, right, that the, uh, uh, the government has to uh, learn to deal with, but in the meantime, you have all this resistance, the institutional uh, resistance, right? Um, um, preventing, right? The this the pollution control uh, to be, uh, be being elevated onto the government agenda, right? Uh, so I think uh, you know they uh, when we talk about you know like uh, the uh, the lack of progress in uh, fixing the environment, you know we have to. Uh, Uh, take into account that context
0: so I think what I hear you saying is a little bit um, uh, I was reminded of um, you know in I think in the early 90s I think uh, Larry Somers when he was the chief economist for the World Bank um, uh, got himself in a lot of trouble by either writing or at least signing his name to a memo that uh, you know pointed out by uh, at least a very narrow economic logic that a lot of poor countries should be perfectly happy to pollute because you know, yeah, you know, asthma is not good and maybe you lose a couple of years of life. But if you, you know, get to get the resources to build schools and roads and put a roof over your head and, you know, uh, you know, get yourself a car or television for the first time, you know, maybe that's a, a trade-off that people are willing to make. And that's in some sense in their interest. Um, now, he, I think he lost his job for that one. But um, <laughs> but in a sense, what, what I hear from you is there's a little bit that, you know, they didn't solve the problem. It sounds like both at the top levels of the Chinese government, they said, you know, economic growth is what we need. And and even at the levels of, uh, you know, that was the command coming down, but also that was the pressure coming up. Ordinary people weren't uh, saying, no, no, please don't put a factory um, here. They were saying, uh, you know, we we want the factory. And, you know, they, they weren't that concerned about pollution.
1: Yeah, you know, so, well, I think Larry Summers, you know, had uh, what. Well, well, certainly what was said something right that it's this many of the developing countries you know that uh, like China initially right were uh indeed were thinking about right when you know the western countries were calling for you know the uh China and the, you know other developing countries you know to also you know care about the environment you know, while you know they are uh, pursuing economic growth. But you know at a time in a way, you know that uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the 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 country was this the sole concern was by the economic development it was to uh, uh, fulfill by right, this needs and demands for basic necessities right it is you know understandable why right, those environmental issues will become you know like a back burner uh, issue right uh, you know but uh, you know over you know but people's expectations change right as China uh, grows you know people, uh, become more prosperous you know the people also they had their expectations you know change well they were no longer you know, value. You know, those just those basic necessities, right? They have started to value increasingly what like, the importance of health. You know, all that, you know, like le needs like leisure, right? They are, uh, you know, this is also measured by this VSL, right? The, this value of statistical life approach, right? The, you know, the, uh, you know, they find that initially, right, that this the, uh, uh people. Are willing to pay like one million yuan, you know, to uh, re, uh, reduce the mortality risk, right? The uh uh, but now, what, I'm just cut this, you know, so, Um, uh, uh Peter, <laughs> uh, I think I, I made a mistake, in a way by citing the uh the data. Uh, I think if we would look at the, the studies, the surveys, you know, conducted by Chinese economists, right, in Shanghai and Chongqing in 2005 and 2006, you know, they found that the, you know, the value of statistical life, you know, that that is an estimate of how much people are willing to pay to reduce mortality risk, right? Uh, it was, you know, approf- approximately one million yuan, you know, that is about 122. A thousand US dollars you know that was actually much greater you know than what is you know uh, implied you know, by uh the uh those the uh, um, this other approach right you know that uh, suggests you know that uh the uh, you know the uh to measure you know how much people are willing right to uh, mm-hmm. pay to reduce the mortality risk or losses of pollution right this is like a 280 thousand yuan right, or 34, uh, around $34,000, uh, you know, but, you know, more recent, you know, uh, studies, you know, suggested that Chinese residents are willing to pay an average of, you know, 3.8% of their annual household income to reduce PM2.5 concentration, you know, by just a one, you know, micrograms uh, per cubic meter, right? And so you have seen what well, this is actually people Right, they have uh, they're willing to pay more in order to reduce the pollution. You know, and that expectations, right, that this increasing uh, need for better, you know, high quality air by right, itself, right, is uh, now you know pushing for government, you know, to uh, uh, make changes by right, the environment, you know, to improve the air quality hi just coming back China we had a little bit science. of a
0: technical glitch um, that hopefully we'll be able to iron out in the editing but um the uh, next question i wanted to ask was um in terms of the 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 china's environment you know you've mentioned so all these problems they faced um but you know some of it seems like a little bit like uh, uh you know the old story so maybe they didn't prioritize uh um you know environmental health as much because they were both citizens and the government were really oriented towards uh, you know, uh, sort of a, a non-green GDP, just good old fashioned economic growth, you know, having a bigger house, a better, better stuff, um, than, than they did. And, you know, felt pretty successful when they looked at their lives compared to the lives of, uh, of their parents. Um, uh, but now that's changing. People are really, um, you know, less concerned with their basic material well um, and are much more concerned with, um, you know, especially in the urban middle class, uh, are much more concerned with, uh, with environmental and other kind of, uh, you know, soft aspect soft aspects of development, um, and and also the government is more concerned with that uh, as a long running consideration. Um, so so now there's more priority on it, and also uh, you know the the general assessment of Xi Jinping is that he has a lot more power than um, any individual leader um, for for quite some time. So uh, so when he takes when he really cares about an environmental issue and he decides to take action on it, what what kinds of challenges does he still face that, that keep him from, you know, fixing a problem if he decides he wants to?
1: Yeah, that is, I think that is a great question. I think, you know, certainly, right, the, you know, when you have, you know, like uh, a, uh, what I call, <laughs> or, or many uh, other political scientists called uh, a bandwagon polity, right, uh, you have a superordinate actor, right, in charge, you know, then, the other political actors, you know, look to you know the him as you know like the bellwether, you know, that uh, ego to jump onto his bandwagon to you know to show their loyalty and support, right? Uh, you know that actually facilitates you know policy implementation, especially right the if the uh, uh, the leader, right, that shows clearly right. The, uh, this is my priority right this the uh so you know that the, the you you're going to find you know that, that this policy discrepancy right the, the, between the leader and the lead and the lead, is going to be uh, significantly reduced but that being said you know that china you know continue to face challenges in terms of enforcing uh this pollution control you know because right, they, they, uh, one of the challenges is the issue of legitimacy right you know you have to continue to uh, justify um, the uh, 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 it's, just, it's its ability to rule you know by delivering right this concrete you know the uh, uh, social economic you know goals right the the, uh, the fulfillment of those goals you know that it's not just about you know, social you know uh progress in terms of the pollution control you know but also by uh, when we talk about you know this the the economic progress And you know, unfortunately right? uh even with all those calls on green gdp right that this pursuit of the gdp growth you know continued uh to be a very strong incentive right uh, uh that uh, uh le- leads to the local government officials you know to pursue uh, robust economic growth, you know, sometimes to the detriment of uh, the environmental quality, right? That is particularly a concern, right, in the post-COVID era uh, in China, because, you know, they have this uh, strong push, right, to uh, recoup the losses associated with, you know, the uh, the pandemic, you know, so you are seeing, you know, that they uh they have, you know, issued more permits, you know, to coal-powered plants, right, uh, in 2020, you know, then in 2018 and 2019, uh, the uh, uh, steel production has reached, you know, a historically high level, you know, more than one billion tons now, right, even though, you know, the government is concerned about, you know, those so-called excessive, you know, uh the steel production capacity and you know, trying to uh uh crack down you know on those uh you know the 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 steel uh meals, you know, uh, some provinces, you know, trying to uh 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 you know the uh, <laughs> uh to uh, uh produce you know the, the uh the steel, you know uh, without you know the uh uh, the, the the government uh, permission. You know, there's you know, but you know, this uh, uh this remains the concern in China, you know, that uh, they have found, you know, uh for example, you know, the uh uh this the uh this uh this I think in March just uh, uh March this year the four steel mirrors failed to uh implement production curves you know during uh, even the heavy pollution days you know, they were also found to have fuels. so what in, happened to those guys uh, so I guess that's, that's you know because uh, what record. I
0: think of I mean of course so, in any you know, you know country people, especially one as big as China I can imagine there's going to people who want to you know work around the the central you know orders um, you know it's not not formally Federalist but sometimes it's it's been compared to a little bit of a federalist system where there's you know uh, some independence down below but but these days you know given that if Xi Jinping or, you know, people acting on his behalf, if he really cared about the issue and he said, hey, shut down the steel mills or, or pause them when the air is, you know, extraordinarily unbreathable and they don't. Are, were there any consequences for the, the people who snuck around and, you know, kept the mills open?
1: Well, they well, they have, though, this is again, this is a top down approach, right? This is, they have sent inspection teams, right? That's the, uh, the local level, you know, just to, to enforce the government, you know, the environmental control, uh, the pollution control measures. You know, they were uh, indeed, but the local government officials, you know, who uh, neglect that duty of environmental uh, protection would be disciplined, you know. Uh, some were even uh, like uh, uh, even lost their jobs, you know. But but the, the thing is that as long as you know s- systematic level, right? The uh, the, uh, uh, the risk of being caught, you know, and the the the, uh, the, the cost, right, of being uh, uh, found, you know, to uh, uh, to to have not, you know. Uh, follow the government, you know, the uh, uh, environmental rules and norms we you know remains lower, right? You know, than, you know the uh They're
0: they're not uh, being they're not being harsh enough with these guys. So so they're they're saying, well, yeah, sure, I know that it, this, this rule is gonna be sorry. broken, but uh, maybe worst case I'll be transferred to another job or, you know, they'll they'll punish me or fine my factory a little bit, but but you know, the odds are are relatively small and you know, whereas I guess the certainty of like, if I leave, if I leave the, if I, if I shut down the factory for a month, all these unemployed people are going to ride in the street or, you know, I'm not going to make my, my GDP growth quota for, for this year or something like that. And that's going to hurt me too. So they just go ahead and take the risk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Right. As long as the odds of being found, you know, right. Uh, uh, remains small as long as the cost, right. um uh, these the uh not honoring the government environmental rules, you know, remains low, you know, and uh, you know if you could being asked to, you know, like temporary shutdown, you know, then later you could reopen, like, right? You know, this is all, you know, like going to send a signal, right? The 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 cost is really, you know, uh, uh, not as high, you know, as when you compare to the benefits, right? To, you know, the uh, the uh, 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 excessive production, right. okay. you know, that they call well, so, Okay, pollution. so even even yeah,
0: uh, even the mighty okay. Xi Jinping doesn't have uh, all the power that uh, he wants. And maybe he's got a little bit, it sounds like he and the other top leadership have a little bit of mixed feelings about, you know, how much they really want to tamp down economic growth, you know, kind of like in the U.S., right? We You know, everyone, everyone says individually, like, I want, you know, I want clean air, but you also want a job. And when it comes down to, like, clean air, you know, for, for everyone versus a job for me, maybe I'm going to choose my job first. Um, but, uh, what about, what about from the bottom up, um, do, do, citizens have any power to, to push for change in China? Has there been any, uh, developments or success stories in that front? I mean, you know, successful protests or NGOs that can, can push back when, uh, you know, maybe if these local governments are, are not doing what the central government says that it wants.
1: Well, you know, if you look at the, the social participation, right? Even though, right, when the China launched that war on pollution in 2013, that uh, it, it it officially encouraged the social participation, right, in these the process of pollution control. You know, but you know, we know that after 2012, right, the, the civil society organizations, you know. Has you know, in terms of the participation process, policy process, and overall, you know, being uh, uh, discouraged, right? As you know, it's no, there they, may maybe still right, the civil society organizations promoting for uh, environmental protection, you know, like margins, you know, IEP, right? But uh, overall, you know, there are. Uh, uh, you know, the numbers is small you know they are uh, you know the, uh, uh, the the ability you know to uh, participate effectively in the policy process remains you know like a neglectible. you know this is again it is a very top-down uh, uh, process you know that uh uh, in fact, the COVID-19, right, this government response, you know, just to demonstrate, you know, that how, you know, that the, this the uh, uh, this top-down approach you know, worked, right, in dealing with a major uh, crises. Again, right, that it would reduce the incentives for uh, involving, engaging, you know, the civil society uh, organizations, right, in uh, pollution control. You know, not to mention. You know that uh, in terms of you know tackling pollution, right, the, uh, there is no strong you know like consensus, right, uh, uh in China even among the Chinese public, right, uh, that this is something we got to you know, do, right. This is you know this is something you know that uh, you know this the uh, the the, the, uh, the government needs to right. right? So so
0: there's uh, so there's uh, progress in the sense of of making it more of an issue, uh, or taking it more seriously than did in the past. But, uh, and then maybe the central government has a little bit more, uh, leverage or, than it did, but at the same time, it's also undercut a lot of the sort of developing civil society, uh, elements that, that kind of in the 2000s were, were starting to mobilize on behalf of, uh, of environmental protection. And so now, now those kind of bottom up forces have been, have been weakened relative to where they were before.
1: Yeah, I think this is the major difference, right, between what this, the, the, uh, um, the the environmental you know, uh, protection movements, by right, the uh, heel in the United States, and that if there is a, such a movement, right, uh, in China, right, this, uh, the the U. S. is more like a bottom-up uh, process in china it is more a top-down process you know this is how you know that the in two maybe uh, uh, like uh, in 2015 uh, uh, 2016 you would still have the hope right even at the, the government officials also mm-hmm. hope right you know, after the chai Jin's documentary you know under the dome was released right the uh the the, 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 uh, the, the, the newly uh appointed the environmental uh, minister you know congratulated uh, you know her right Those, i think uh, i think she was hoping that that was going to govern a, a nice you know social forces you know uh pushing forward the, the environmental uh, uh, the uh, protection agenda you know but you know once you know that you know this so-called this the uh the, the china's the, the the uh uh the uh Ah, gee, I was trying to to remember the name of that book. The
0: it's okay if you
1: remember it. So it was like you know you know you know very just within weeks, right? You found how you know the are this the ah uh this documentary was taken removed from online. You know, so this was just a. You know, essentially, you know, shattered all the, you know, this hope, right? You know, this you know, expect, you right? This effective, you know, social participation, right? right? Yeah. Uh, so for China's, people who don't know it, listening, know, just uh, this
0: was uh, Chai Jing was a very assets. prominent uh, journalist in the in the state controlled media system, and uh, she, um, and correct me if I get this wrong, Enjong, but she uh, put together a a documentary movie with uh, various collaborators about the impacts of air pollution. Um, and really, uh, you know, it kind of spread through the country like wildfire, but then, um, which, which gave people a lot of hope that the, 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 this issue would be addressed, uh, more seriously and would create pressure on the government. But, uh, but then the, um, it was pretty much taken down and, uh, um, take made, made off limits to discuss after, after not a very long period of time and would, um, Has there been anything, uh, you know, from the sort of journalistic side? uh, Has anyone else done anything comparable? Like, is there still any investigative journalism, you know, uncovering when there are major health hazards that, uh, you know, the the political system or or, um, an ordinary kind of uh, monitoring didn't uncover? or, Or have they been pretty much stopped?
1: Well, yeah, we know that this kind of investigative journalism is very important, right? The contributor... Right, to the u s right the uh environmental you know uh uh, mo- uh uh environmentalist movement right it's uh you know that you would ex you know that i hope you know that same could happen in china there was the actual time in a way you know, we have seen, you know, those, you know, investigative reports by, in China, you know, uncovering, you know, the, the, the health impacts of the environmental challenges. You know, but nowadays, uh, environmental, you know, journalists themselves become endangered species. You know that, you know, I don't even know there are, you know, really any, you know, who should be categorized as the, like, uh, of, you know, real, you know, uh, environmental you know, but this journalists who are conducting, right. The, uh, oh, that's sad to hear. Yeah. I, I hadn't heard of, you know, of anyone for quite a while,
0: but I was hoping the, that I'd maybe percent. missed, uh, miss some, some more positive developments, but it sounds like, uh, sounds like I didn't. Um, well, so that's, uh, you paint, uh, you paint a, a pretty, uh, pretty worrisome picture. Um, but again, uh, you know, for, for anyone, uh, listening, uh, you know, this book is a great way to not only learn about the environmental challenges in China and, you know, how that may affect uh, China's development in the coming years, um, but also to understand, uh, you know, the political system, the institutions there, the constraints that keep, you know, even a leader as, as powerful as uh, Xi Jinping from uh, fully carrying out um, uh, policies that he might want to carry out. Um, and that's very relevant, you know, as we think about, like, what uh, what commitments they make about you know uh, tr- trade deals internationally or you know when, when we work together uh, on global climate change you know if they can't even influence something that they want then you know what is, that certainly suggests there are going to be uh, real constraints on the ability of the, the Chinese government um, no matter how fearsome um, it sometimes seems in its ability to uh, carry out uh, agreements that it's made with other countries even if even if it fully intends to. Um, which of course is also sometimes also a question um, so uh, so why don't we move on from the book and uh, let what are you working on now? Um, seems like there's obviously endless fodder for thinking about uh, health in China. Are you still working in this area or are you moving on to some new new topics?
1: Well, I'm um planning to uh, start working on my next book uh, uh hopefully in the summer you know, I could write uh, start writing on the uh, China, well, this is the the, the, the book I have uh, been you know, thinking about working on for a while. I just didn't find the time you know, to uh, write it. Uh, this the book called "The Politics of Infections in China." You know, basically, I want to examine you know the, uh, China's you know, response to major disease outbreaks, you know from SARS to COVID-19, and of course, by right, the you know it's just. A, you know now, you know that we're still in this pandemic. You know that the, the China's response, you know, has been phenomenal, right? Uh, and so, the the, 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 will, the will be a large chunk of the book will be devoted to China's response to COVID-19. You know that uh, so you know that uh, I will focus on the politics of uh, uh, China's you know uh, pandemic response. You know, and uh, in terms of how you know. Uh, the government respond to initial outbreaks, why they fail to, you know, nip the crisis in the bud, you know, and how, you know, then uh, this policy, you know, this the reverse cause, you know, that uh, enabled the government, you know, to take uh, uh, decisive and effective actions, right, to, uh, you know, Basically, model through the crises, you know, and in the case of COVID 19, you may emerge from the crises triumphantly and uh, forcefully. You know, so there's a lot to uh, talk about, you know, and uh, what I found interesting is that when you look at the pattern of the government response to the COVID 19, I again, why well, it's, you know, that policy pattern is no different from. No, not fundamentally different from you know its response you know to like population control problem or you know pollution control problems uh, and you know there's, there's no fundamental change uh, in the uh, the in the public policy process you know that uh, I, 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 when you compare that to the uh, more euro despite you know this. You know, there's, you know, efforts, you know, being, uh, using high-tech means, right, uh, The uh, and, uh, you know, efforts try to institutionalize, you know, those mobilizational efforts.
0: So, Yan Zhang, as uh, one final question, I just wanted to hear from you if you had any other uh, recommendations of uh, good books to read or other things that people interested in uh, your topic uh, should look into.
1: Well, you know, I think... Uh, the book I plan to uh, read uh, this summer is the one just, uh, I believe, published uh, by um, Penguin, I think. It's uh, uh, titled The Plague Year, America in the Time of COVID. It's uh, written by uh, Lawrence Wright. You uh, might have heard of Lawrence Wright, who just published uh, the, uh, this long piece in New Yorker which I believe is a condensed version of that book. You know, I found that this, the, uh, this, this account, right, of the COVID, you know, how it's unfolded, uh, you know, not just, uh, you know, uh, in China, but, you know, this how it impacted the United States, you know, and the entire world. You know, this is very fascinating and authoritative, you know, so, you know, I would, uh, if you want me to recommend a book to uh, uh, read, I would, uh, you know, uh, uh, suggested this one.
0: Great, yeah, that sounds fascinating. Certainly, it's all on our minds. Uh, although I'm certainly looking forward to uh, getting uh, getting your next book once you have time to to bring a academic, scholarly perspective um, to uh, and all your your existing knowledge of China's uh, health sector to to bear and, and then tell us more about um, you know what what there is to to learn and what insights can be gained from uh, from understanding uh, China's COVID response. Um. I'm going to throw in a recommendation, uh, to, um, my recommendation just for people who are look interested in, uh, you know, from the economics perspective, thinking about this as human capital, uh, the other big aspect of what we call human capital, uh, is education. And, uh, another great book on that, uh, topic is that just came out recently is by Scott Roselle and Natalie Hell, um, on, uh, invisible China. And it looks particularly at the, uh, shortfalls in, rural education in china which uh, is still the vast majority of the population um and uh and the the despite you know the best great stories about you know the the top schools in shanghai um once you get out in the countryside the, the quality of what uh students get even if they complete school is uh, is very limited so this book uh, gets into a lot oh. of issues there
1: it sounds very interesting because it reminds of how you know when we talk about this upward mobility. I remember the days when I was a kid, right, in rural China, right, because I went to the certainly it was you know school, you know that's in the countryside, you know, but uh, you know, you know, even we, you know you could say what well, the urban kids, you know, they, they received better education, right? They just you know we're not on the same foot, but. Uh, you know, it's still, I think uh, that uh, the system seems to provide, you know, like um, a certain like uh, equal opportunity, you know, even for, you know, kids like me, you know, could get into, you know, some of the best, one of the best colleges in China, you know, so, you know, I don't know what's the situation today, you know, how to what extent this has changed, you know, and make things worse or better, you know, so I look forward to also reading that book as well
0: yeah well i won't i won't spoil the whole thing i think part of it is, you know a, a big issue is that uh you know all the families have have left the countryside so that the children are often just uh being raised by grandparents who um don't have the energy or, or skills to educate them and then also the educational needs are much higher so you know there's probably been uh exceptions like you who you know can uh come from humble beginnings and to obviously rise to, to really high levels of academic achievement but um I guess, on average, uh, the situation is still pretty dire anyway. But I'll leave that maybe for another podcast or, or for uh, people to pursue on their own. Um, well, thank you so much for for uh, meeting with uh, me and uh, having this conversation. Uh, it's been really informative. And uh, again, hope everyone will uh, go out and get your book. And uh, we'll all be eagerly awaiting your next one.
1: Well, thank you, Peter. It's a pleasure speaking with you.